creating that clarity, maintaining velocity, and then accelerating risk and value um, validation. Conquer local. It's really a breath of fresh air. Good times. I help leaders go from anxiety to authority under pressure. And then let's go and get it. It's an ecosystem. The hardest part here is going to be getting me to shut up on this one. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Hosted by Jeff Tomlin. Welcome to the Conquer Local podcast. Our show features successful sales leaders, marketers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs who will inspire you with their success stories. Each episode is packed with practical strategies as our guests share their secrets to achieving their dreams. Listen in and learn highlights of their remarkable accomplishments and get tips to revamp, rework, and reimagine your business. Whether you're a small business owner, a marketer, or aspiring entrepreneur, the Conquer Local Podcast is your ultimate guide to dominating your local market. Tune in now to take your business to the next level. I'm Jeff Tomlin, and on this episode, we're pleased to welcome John Rossman. John is the founder of Rossman Partners, a strategy and leadership firm, and he's the author of four books on leadership and business innovation, including the bestseller, The Amazon Way. As an early Amazon executive, he played a pivotal role in launching the Amazon Marketplace business in 2002. Today, he's a prominent keynote speaker on leadership for innovation and transformation. Known for his hands-on approach to business problems and customer needs, John is recognized as an operator and builder, creating innovative solutions and business models that generate lasting enterprise value. With a background as the Senior Technology Advisor at the Gates Foundation and a Senior Innovation Advisor at T-Mobile, John's upcoming book, Big Bet Leadership, is set to be released on February 27, 2024. Saddle up, Conquerors, for John Rossman, coming up next on this week's episode of the Conquer Local Podcast. John Rossman, welcome to the Conquer Local Podcast, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us here. How you doing, man? <laughs> Jeff, thanks for welcoming me. It's going great. Thanks. You know, I just uh, reading down the bio, of course, just went through the intro. Author, speaker, analyst, advisor. Um, if you're not careful, you can make a lot of us feel like we're just sitting on our hands here. <laughs> you're a busy man. It, well, you know, I feel so fortunate to get to do work that really pulls me forward. And in my own special way, I feel I, I know I contribute to, to my clients and how a lot of people tackle problems and really think about kind of the combination of leadership and strategy in their organization. So I don't quite fully understand how I got to, to do this, but uh, I'm, I love it. And um, really, I don't take it for granted and work pretty hard at it. Well, you're really busy now. You've got a lot of things in the go. You've done a lot of things throughout your career. Um, the stint at Amazon must be something that's, uh, uh, that you're extremely proud of. Like, not everybody has a, a chance throughout their career, their lifetime to take part uh, and be an instrumental piece of an organization that has grown to the scale that Amazon uh, grew to. You know, one of the largest companies in the world now, and they, you know, they, they really pioneered the path to, you know, growing and scaling an organization like that. So maybe, maybe start there. Talk a little bit about, you know, what were some of the things that Amazon really got right that allowed them to get that type of scale? What a, what a great question. So just a little reminder. So I was an early executive at Amazon. I was there from early 2002 through late 2005. 
my role was a key role in kind of launching the marketplace business at Amazon. So that's third party selling at Amazon.com. That's about 60% of all units shipped and sold today. Um, and although the business of Amazon has changed 10,000 times since I was there, fundamentally what they believe in, how they act, how they think things through, how they choose to invest, we were creating that foundational thinking approaches and principles uh, when I was there. And it was such a great story and so impactful to me several years after I left Amazon, I, a client of mine at the Gates Foundation recommended like, John, you should write a book about that. Like you do a nice job of taking the little insights and inserting them into our work. So I wrote a book called The Amazon Way. And that really was kind of the start of my path on, on capturing stories for the benefits of others. But um, it, some of the things that Amazon really got right. Um, I'll, I'll mention three things. Um, and these tie to specific leadership principles from Amazon. There's 16 of them. I'll just talk about three of them. So the first is about they truly work to understand their customers extremely well. That's called customer obsession in Amazon parlance. It's called customer centricity and lots of others. But what a lot of people get wrong about customer centricity is they think it it's just about kind of hustling for today's transaction, working to make today's customer experience as great as possible. And that's true. But there's a different flavor of customer centricity, which is strategic customer centricity. And that is being so curious and, and persistent about understanding the job your customer is trying to get done that you actually spot opportunities to help them bigger and broader than just how you might work with them today. And that's really been what has led Amazon from going from a book music uh, um, electronics retailer to this conglomerate business today. So that's the first thing they got right was like, be curious about your customer and, and always be think bigger than just your, your service or your product relative to your customer. The second thing is really this notion of um, inventing and simplifying. So this is the third leadership principle. And the edgiest work I do with my clients is working to simplify, delete rules, policies, processes, steps, features, everything that doesn't really distinguish you or doesn't add explicit value. And Amazon really got that right. And that notion that both invention and simplicity go, go hand in hand. And that's as important to in your product design and your service design as it is in your operations and your processes and how you work together. So that's, that's the third, the second thing. Now, the third thing I'd mentioned is, the ability to have um, active debate. And so there's a leadership principle called um, disagree, uh, but commit. And it, it gets much simpler when you, when you write memos about the situation, either the problem or your proposal, and then you get together and debate. But in either, and that's kind of the Amazon problem solving and inventing processes through this set of memos, this working backwards process. But if you complement that with a culture that's able to vigorously 
actually debate topics and then recognize decision-making rights, the ability to make a decision, move forward wholeheartedly, learn from it, make adjustments if, if, if needed. And oftentimes they're needed when you're trying to correct something or, or, or innovate on something. That culture is really important to being efficient at how you go about it and allowing the best ideas to win, not the compromised ideas to win. And that's typically what tends to, to work its work in most enterprises is it's so easy and comfortable and, and you feel like you're doing the right thing by compromising. But actually when there's a right decision to something, um, compromise is actually the worst type of mechanism to, to have in those in those cases and everything. So those are three things that Amazon got really right. And the, the fourth is that they packaged all of this up into a set of principles. Um, I captured that story in the Amazon way, the principles as the foundational kind of um, bedrock and operating model for how they operate. And so it allows them to, in relative terms, stay fast and nimble at scale. And I think that, that I wrote an appendix in the book, uh, The Amazon Way, about building your own leadership principles. And, and so I think that that's a, not the Amazons are the right ones for you or for other people, but thinking through like tenants and, and how we operate and really meaning them and working to put them in play every day. I think, I think any team in any company can probably benefit from that. You know, uh, I, I want to mention, um, we, were, we read through that book some time ago here at Vendasta. We adopted a number of Amazon's principles because they made a, a, a ton of sense for our business. But, you know, I think when I look at a lot of companies, um, you know, of, in our space that, w that we work with and we know and, and, and ours, I'd say the one thing that probably a lot of people don't get right is getting the getting the foundation set before they begin to scale and how important right. those things are to create operational excellence over time. And uh, I'd say, you know, probably today, you know, we're still iterating and trying to, you know, understand in our operations on a regular basis, what, you know, customer obsession really means for us, like operationally, what does it mean for us? And uh, uh, so, but anyways, I just wanted well, to know. I mean, that, that, that's the journey. It's, it's, it's never over. It's never perfect. Yeah. You always fail relative to perfection and, and these ideals, but you yeah. keep them in place to, to pull you forward and to not, you know, just get lazy um, or, or to compromise about, you know, striving to do better. It's a good point. Uh, oftentimes we look to them, it like brings us back to center when, you know, we feel like, or we look at something and it may not be working right. Always, you know, those things when they're, when we're using them properly, they bring us back. So anyways, want to note that was influential. I always tell my team and my clients, it's like, you know, a customer problem or an operational problem, it, it, to some degree, it's a gift, right? Like yeah. it's a signal on how to improve. And so there's art in interpreting that signal and then figuring out how do I experiment and, and try to improve it and everything. But you know, the, that's, that's what a job is. And that's the best work you can do is one that allows you to actually tackle problems. The environments and the cultures that I really feel sorry for are those that just accept the current state and don't put in place the mechanisms or, or the approaches of like, 
okay, how do we learn from this and how do we do something better? Like that's just learned helplessness. And I think that is a, is a, to me, you know, that may be what purgatory is and everything is being in a place where I see all these problems and I'm not allowed to do anything about them. And, and it's common too, because, you know, especially in the technology space, you know, companies go through different stages and they're like stair steps and every single different stage comes with a different set of problems that you got to work through when you're, especially when you're trying to figure out scale. Um, John, I want to talk right. to you a little bit about transformation um, because it's something that, that you, you, you chat about quite a bit. Um, interestingly enough, I think just last night, KeyBank Capital Markets came out with their um, annual uh, SAS benchmarks report that they, that they do. And, and OpenView, I think, came out with their, their benchmarks uh, uh, last month. And so something that I, I read with, with quite a bit of interest. And, um, you know, this past year has been a, a challenging year in tech for a lot of companies as, you know, so I think a lot of companies, um, not just ones that are trying to like reinvent themselves from, you know, an industry perspective, uh, a lot of companies are thinking about transformation. So, you know, one some of the things that KeyBank um, highlighted, you know, growth rates are down, sales and marketing costs are up, efficiency is down, access to capital is tighter than it used to be, right? So now companies have to balance growth and profitability uh, working forward. So a lot of companies are going through sort of this phase of transformation. And so talk a little bit about, you know, how, uh, how you work with your clients and, and how you get them to yeah. sort of embrace the, the process. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to take that question, Jeff, and, and make it an opportunity to talk about my next book, uh, if Good. that's okay. Do it. Because the book is specifically about transformation. And this book releases end of February. It's called Big Bet Leadership, Your Transformation Playbook for Winning in the Hyper-Digital Era. And it essentially, it's framed in the context of, yes, everybody is having to tackle these, you know, supply challenges, cost model challenges, demand problems, uh, differentiation problems at their core, uh, but yet we know that the vast majority of these types of transformations fail, right? Like 75% fail to deliver expected benefits. One in six fail to deliver any benefits at all. Well, that's a pretty tricky proposition, right? Like we know we have to change, but we're most likely on, on a journey to nowhere here and everything, right? And that's both tricky for a business and it's tricky for the senior leaders who are having to lead those endeavors and stuff. So we specifically wrote this book as a playbook to senior executives to help them do an increasingly important part of their job, which is to lead these actual types of transformations. And the boiled off summary of this is, is that there's three critical habits that Big Bet legends put in place in order to successfully create a system for successful transformation. And those three critical habits are they create clarity, they maintain velocity, and they accelerate risk and value validation. And so the book just basically explodes on those like, okay, so how do we go about doing those things for senior executives? And it's not an end-to-end methodology. It's a set of intercepts that can be undertaken in part of a transformation. So, you know, your setup is perfect, which is, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge 
in these transformations is the fact that we actually refer to them as a transformation. What's so much more helpful is to have a really firm command of this is the specific problem I'm going to solve and making sure that it's worth it, right? Like that our customers would pay for it or that operationally it's really worth it. So you have to have that anchor, be very specific about the problem you're trying to solve. Couple that with your hypothesis for what you believe the future state is. Like make it so that I can feel it. Like what's your, your mental experiment that you would articulate, well, this is how I envision it working in the future. And if you can create those two points, well, that creates a vector, right? Yeah, specific A to B point, and then you can do an experiment that allows you to validate or adjust that hypothesis to the future status. And so if you, if you transformation is a great category for, for technology and overall, but it's, it's really a, a, I think part of the problem, be more oriented towards the use case. And in specific, talk about the problem you're going to solve and your hypothesis for what the future is. And that really is just a key part of kind of creating that clarity, maintaining velocity, and then accelerating risk and value um, validation as part of that. And so when you, I wanted to dig into risk and validation, and so I, I, yeah. I'm assuming you, you're, you're big on input and output metrics and, and, yes, sir. and, and me measuring things uh, uh, on, on a regular basis and ma maintaining sort of agility. And talk us through a little bit of what that, what that looks like. Yeah. So, so, so um, accelerating uh, risk and value validation, the second half of that or the unstated half of that is you defer as many other aspects of investment or building as possible until you've proven that, oh, this works and everything, right? Mm -hmm. And so the input and output metrics you're talking about are key in terms of defining the experiment, right? Like, well, you know, what are the 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 input metrics? What, what are the output metrics I need in order to prove the the most complex and riskiest parts of this future state that I've defined? Once you've proven that out, well, then you've really de-risked the initiative. It's no longer a bet anymore. It's just an investment. Okay, we, we think this is, we have high confidence that this is going to work. We just need to execute well in order to claim this prize that we have, have defined. And so those metrics really form the basis for creating your experiments on the few critical, high-risk, imperative operational pieces that have to be in place for this future state to be true. Um, I wanted to ask you, by the way, so you, I mean, you're talking about de-risking things and it, it brought me back to a conversation that I was having with someone some time ago about um, what it means to be agile and, and what, what does, what is agile software development? And, you know, one of the things I chatted with them about is, you know, at, at its core, agility is about, you know, being able to de-risk things and 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 make decisions in in a quick way, and, and deferring as many things as possible that aren't tied to specifically to that de-risking piece, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So, so just dovetailing on that, you talk a little bit about you know this concept of 
um, of digital, what it means to be digital. And uh, I saw a video on your on your website. You're yeah. talking about it, and there's sort of two parts to that. Walk us through that a little bit, because I thought that's in a similar way that created a lot of clarity of what what it means. So first, I would say, um, I think your your instincts on agility and agile is completely right, and that term has at times been corrupted. To, to mean like, oh, we do this iterative software development, but it's really become the methodology of no accountability, right? Like right. no scope, no budget, you know, no, no commitments at all, but yet we're agile and everything, right? And so not in a purposeful way, but, but at times don't confuse the agile methodology with actually being agile, agile. right? Um, and, and, and so that's a, a key point. So, so what I believe a, a digital transformation or becoming digital truly is, and there's, there's more than one definition of this. So this is, this, is not some, this is open for debate and everything, but the way I define a truly digital organization is really along in two attributes of speed and agility. Well, if you think about what speed is, well, that's about a highly efficient, highly predictable, highly precise, highly efficient um, motion or capability. Well, that's our operational excellence um, uh, gene and pull to get perfect in today's operations. The other attribute is the attribute of agility. Well, that's the ability to sense and make change happen. That's not our software development processes. That's our, that's our, that's our organization and its ability to sense when change is needed and its ability to experiment its way towards staying relevant and creating um, uh, durable uh, competitive moats around our business and using all of the great technologies and tools and approaches and frameworks that we have. But I think that's ultimately what leadership is looking for in their organization, which is both a highly efficient operational organization and one that continues to try to reinvent its core value propositions and staying relevant to its target market and expanding that target market. That's what I believe a true digital transformation is about. Yeah. You know, um, that resonates a lot. Oh, over the past uh, probably dozen years or so, one of the things that Vendasta's done quite a bit has worked with tra uh, traditional media companies um, and helped with digital transformation. And uh, the ones that we've worked with that, that found a lot of success and really get it right are ones that um, thought about digital transformation holistically from a, an organizational perspective and thought, what, what does it mean to be a digital organization? Uh, and, you know, the ones that didn't have as much success just thought about it from the standpoint of, hey, we're going to replace some of our analog revenue with digital revenue. And uh, it wasn't a true transformation. Um, I'm curious, right. you know, if there's any, you know, common misconceptions that you run with or that you run into uh, on how people think about what, what it means to build a digital strategy. Yes, it, it, it's always about... Uh you know, the CIO using it as a way to rationalize whatever big platform or replatforming effort uh, that, that, that they want uh, and everything. And 
I think that that too often is what becomes known as the digital transformation strategy within an organization, which is really kind of tech debt uh, payments and yeah. everything, right? And and I think the best ones are ones that take those investments and really tie them to, to the specific use cases and outcomes that they believe are going to matter and then figure out how do we as quickly as possible test the high risk elements of those and then proceed on the big investments that are necessary. Most companies get that completely different. They commit big upfront, both in public announcements and in spending. They defer until the very end, actually trying to capture and validate the high risk operating imperatives relative to that. Because these things get to be so big, all the personnel have to have to kind of pull back. They have to they de-risk it by lowering their ambition versus actually testing the high-risk operating imperatives. And so they may deliver it, but it just doesn't have the pop, the impact that it should. And so while companies are going through their digital transformation, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Yeah, totally get it. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you before we before we left um, is uh, it was about AI because everyone's talking about it right now, the opportunities around it, how people are integrating it and implementing it, and who who's having success with it and who is is not having you know transformative success. And so I, I wanted to get your take on it because of you, you know your background and the work that you you've done in this space. Mm -hmm. Um, wh where are you seeing people have a lot of success in terms of integrating AI into the processes? Well, there's two core functions where you can, I think in most organizations, you can immediately find traction. And those two use cases or functions tend to be A, in kind of the marketing function and B, in the, in the marketing and, and customer support, I might add. And B is in kind of the software engineering function, right? And so those are the individual jobs that, that can rapidly gain acceleration, leveraging, um, you know, ChatGPT and, and other generative AI tools. Beyond that, you know, if you kind of think about the, the daisy chain of how a process works or something like that, I think it's still very early in figuring out how do we not just get benefits from leveraging AI, but how do we create, you know, kind of, I always talk about the iddities of a process, right? The iddity means it has the essence of something, right? So, so a, a, a real process has to have scalability, measurability, observability, audibility, and, and building those iddities into a, a process that incorporates AI. I think that's the stuff that, most organizations are curious about and they may be doing a little experiment in, which I think is great and everything, but the tools, the controls, the, the, the integration, all of those things are still really early on a lot of those capabilities. And so I think it's holding back a lot of value that will be captured in the future. So the, the name of my book is Big Bet Leadership. Um, winning in the hyper-digital era. So the hyper-digital era is what I see as the next 10 years, which is where you are going to see productivity and operating models transform 
10 to 100x because we figure out how to integrate AI into all of these long chain processes. And we fundamentally change the operating models and what productivity means in most kind of back office and, and traditional, you know, kind of knowledge worker work, which really hasn't happened to a large scale through our past digital era. I think it's coming and it's why being able to transform needs to become a core competency for senior leadership. Because if you think the current transformations you're doing now are hard or impossible, I think the next set of transformations are, are going to make look, these look like trivial problems. And so we have to get good at how we actually change. Um, that also resonates. Uh, if you had a couple of takeaways for the, for the uh, audience here, what would be the two, maybe three things that you want to leave them with? A, fo focus on problems, in particular your customer problems. Always have those as, as being your, your, your north star as to how to really ground any, any abstract notion of an AI plan or a transformation. Focus on problems that matter to your customers and to your operations. B is understand how to simplify before you start layering in technology. That's where, that's where you really make... Um, um, progress, delete, delete, delete. You know, that's what Elon says. That's, that's his, that's his algorithm, delete, yeah. delete, delete. And I think it's absolutely true. Um, and then the third is the best type of experimentation you can do is to write out your problem and your future state and then debate them with your colleagues. And that's the cheapest and most impactful experimentation you can do is being able to picture how it works and what are the high risk components you need to do? So if you do those three things, you're on your path towards an actual agile transformed organization. I love it. Uh, the, the discussion about agility was uh, very well timed, especially in my life here. Hey, uh, John, I, I really want to thank you for joining us on the podcast. One thing that I don't take for granted is, you know, the, uh, the opportunity that we have to get people on uh, on the podcast and pick their brain and you know a lot of people that you know command big money to stand up on stage and share their wisdom uh, with people and uh, we get you for 20 30 minutes to get the uh, get the best ideas out of you i really really appreciate it uh and uh, i hope that we can get you back on the podcast sometime in the future so that we can have a few future conversations anytime and what i appreciate is being able to have a conversation uh, with somebody who who has depth and who has perspective to add to the conversation so that it's a conversation and not, you know, me having to explain the basics and everything. So this was super fun. And I appreciate uh, I appreciate the opportunity at any time. All the best to you, John. And uh, if people wanted to reach out to you, continue the conversation with you, how do they reach you? Yeah. So LinkedIn, John Rossman, super easy. Uh, Rossmanpartners.com is the other way. John Rossman, thanks for joining us in the Conquer Local podcast. Best to you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Wrapping up this conversation with John has been a pleasure. Uh, let's break down some of the key takeaways. Firstly, we explored customer centricity in organizational leadership and strategy. Now, John's insights into understanding customers deeply, thinking big and focusing on meeting customer needs were pretty enlightening. 
And moving on to the second point, John stressed the importance of having a foundational principle for efficiency. You know, drawing inspiration from Amazon's approach, he highlighted the value of embracing principles like invent and simplify, fostering active debate, and maintaining a customer-centric focus. Efficiency, as John notes, emerges from eliminating non-value-added elements, encouraging healthy debate, and staying nimble in the process. And the last takeaway revolves around transformation habits and AI integration. You know, John shared three pivotal habits for a successful transformation, creating clarity, maintaining velocity, and accelerating risk and value validation. You know, he emphasized the need to prioritize simplification before introducing technology into the transformation process. And plus, John touched on the transformative power of AI, especially in marketing and support functions. Before we wrap up, make sure to check out John's latest ebook, available for just 99 cents through the month of March on his website. It's a valuable resource you won't want to miss. If you've enjoyed John Rossman's episode discussing digital strategies and innovation, keep the conversation going and revisit some of the older episodes from the archives. Check out episode 647, Leveraging the Lighthouse Strategy to Attract High-Profile Clients with Dennis Yu, or episode 618, Mastering Partnerships and Go-to-Market Success with Barrett King. Until next time, I'm Jeff Tomlin. Get out there and be awesome. You've been listening to the Conquer Local podcast presented by Vendasta. Tune in next week for a new episode. Guest discovery and produced by Suleiman Adam. Marketing by Rory Lawford, Brandon Moore, and Suleiman Adam. Executive producers, Brendan King, Jeff Tomlin, and Suleiman Adam. Recorded at Vendasta headquarters on the Canadian prairies.